Hi. Hi. You're my first guest. Welcome. Thank you. Courtney Johnson. Yes. Courtney No Nonsense Johnson. <laughs> now Coke. Uh, not not a fan of speaking in public or on video. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a big fan of speaking her mind, though. And why was uh, why did I ask you to be my very first guest? To give all your listeners the most honest view of who you are now in the last 10 years that's pretty good anybody, <laughs> anybody that knows you knows that you'll give your unbiased <laughs> perspective of uh your husband or anyone really for that matter who was i when i met you because when i met you i was a much simpler person i think when i met you you were just hurting and whatever hurt you had was probably causing you to be more temperamental and temperamental (laughs) (laughs) elaborate what do you mean by temperamental I was having little fits (laughs) big fits big fits (laughs) yeah he had made these plexiglass parallel bars that PVC oh yeah Yeah. PVC um, parallel bars to so he could continue to do dips and hang from the bars at home or wherever they were at the moment. But one day he was so upset he couldn't find his phone, phone that he broke them, <clears throat> threw them at the wall, and just maneuvered them all over the place until they were shattered. I think a couple other things got broken. We went into the dumpster to try to find the phone. And (laughs) and it was in his backpack, which I'm I'm almost positive. I had him search a couple times. (laughs) I had searched it. Frantically, so frantically, in fact, that I missed the very, very, very side pocket that I never use for anything. And so for some reason, I decided to put my phone in there and uh, yeah, in the dumpster, it's raining. I'm in a dumpster full of rain and toxic, nasty trash. Now he still will lose his phone, but instead of throwing huge altercations in the house or temper tantrums or whatever you want to call them. I can usually just rewind his day to find out where he may have placed them. Because his brain starts to go a little fast when that happens. (laughs) (laughs) He just starts moving and nothing... I call it spinning, <laughs> yeah. where my mind starts spinning and spinning and spinning. So he and just stays in the spinning <clears throat> portion of it now. He doesn't escalate to the... I breathe. Yeah. I breathe and go somewhere. It's around here. I'll find it. 
talk about the worst in me. I don't know how to begin something of that nature. (laughs) (laughs) Just start because apparently there's a mountain. No. Like, what do you mean evil? Is that what the word you use? No. What did you use? I didn't say evil. <laughs> the worst. The worst. Worst and evil. <laughs> Two different. Evil genius. That's why I was thinking. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> you talk bad shit about me all the time to my face. <laughs> now you can't think of anything. Come on. It's in jest. It's in jest. I don't know if it's all in jest, babe. I don't know. Some of it seems pretty genuine. Think one thing. Ah, there it is. Take your time. Take your time. (laughs) We're really moving along, guys. (laughs) That's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can talk about anything, too. I really don't care. But people are curious about us, you know. So I've heard. From who? Nobody. Okay. We're losers. <laughs> we'll start with an easy one. Okay. An easy one. Time management. Time <laughs> management. Or awareness, maybe. <laughs> Time awareness. What about it? It's not your strong suit. It's not. Nor... Is being able to tell directions or getting around anywhere, really. I have no sense of time (laughs) and I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I get to where I need to go, right? (laughs) I get to where I need to go. Much, much later than... Was probably planned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm just drifting along. Yeah, sometimes. That's what it seems like. Does it drive you crazy? Some days it's <laughs> just another day. And some days it drives me insane. Hmm. Sorry. I'm not very strong with time. And I'm not very good with dates either. Do you think we should really pay attention to dates? More time. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever those attributes you need to become good at something, I feel like we both have. But I think those same attributes also sometimes make us unbearable, like, partners. Not unbearable, but that was just the first word that came to my head. Like... When I when I met you, the reason that I liked you is because you were strong and you were confident and you carried yourself with a lot of just uh, grace and class. And it's not a word people used to describe me. No, they said you're a bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Among other things. But that was because you were confident. That was because you have a level of confidence that most women don't have. So when they see it, 
they they misinterpret it for you being a bitch. But what's true is you're just stronger than they are. You're a more dominant personality, and they don't like that. It makes them feel insecure. It makes men feel insecure, you know, as well as women. But I knew that what I wanted when I, I failed in marriage the first time, what I wanted to invest my time in was somebody that was going to challenge me and somebody who was just as strong-willed. I'd be held in check. I'd be held accountable for who I was, and you were strong enough to do that. And that was really, really attractive to me, and I feel like a lot of people don't look for that. I want to continue to improve, and um, I looked at our relationship after I fell in love with you as like a life partnership. Not only am I lucky enough to have this girl that I'm crazy about, but she's going to make me work, and she's going to make me evolve and change and question myself, and that's really what I want. I don't want to dedicate my time to somebody unless they're like going to make me improve myself and step up a little bit. You know what I mean? And I want in a partner, somebody who wants to be challenged as well. I just don't think you like being challenged that much. (laughs) I'm not disagreeing. My sense of direction is not good. It's just as good as your, um, your feeling or necessity to drive anywhere. I'm the driver and you're the navigator. (laughs) <laughs> I drive lots of places. Not really. <laughs> yes, I do. Ben. I drove um I'm pretty sure I drove thirty four hours across the <laughs> continent to come watch you and your brother in the UFC. <laughs> All by myself. You're leaving out a little detail. <laughs> and the detail is you live to travel and you love road trips. You don't love road trips where you run out of gas in the middle of Canada. No, that's another. That We could talk about that. Talk about that. <laughs> talk about my maybe poor this, time management. Maybe this applies to time management. <laughs> it, un- it undoubtedly does. I can't manage my time and tell, tell everybody how that affected you in the middle of the barren tundra up in Canada. Part Canada. of the problem is Keone doesn't like when I remind him things. But the reason I remind him things, like, I feel like most women can relate to this, <laughs> is because he's constantly forgetting things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All so, right. I have to ride the fine line between making sure that I've reminded him enough times that it's in his head enough, but also not reminding him too much so much that it's causing a fight because i'll start to annoy him but the reason i'm saying that is because prior to my trip to canada with uh, peyton and ronan um i had asked keone to get his registration i think it was registration or was not i can't remember registration um, to get taken care of on his car because that's the one that I was taking to Canada. And I had taken care of the registrations on my cars, but none of my cars <laughs> are capable of making it to Canada. <laughs> so I had to take Keone's 
the End focus. Of- <laughs> Rest in peace. And I'm about 12 hours in, so I'm just getting, I think, past the border of Can- or I'm just getting to the border of Canada, and it's getting late because we usually leave late at night, so the kids just sleep in the car, and it's just easier that way. And I'm seeing these that I probably should stop for gas, and I'm like, oh, well, I'll just wait till I get across the border. I just want to get the hassle of getting across the border out of the way, and then I'm going to stop for gas. Well, apparently, in Canada, <laughs> after a certain hour... None of the gas stations are open, and the ones that are, you have to be some sort of, like, truck driver or... Card holder of some card kind. Card holder in order for the pumps to work. So the kids and I drive over, I think, over 80 miles, maybe even over 100 miles, without any gas options. <laughs> so... <laughs> Obviously, I run out of gas, and I'm in the middle of Canada, and now I don't have a GPS or anything because my phone is not, like, like we're in the dead spot. There's no service where we're at. And so, um... Hundreds of miles away. Yeah, there's Keone's fallen asleep for the only (laughs) night. He's fallen asleep early. Somehow, after probably about an hour of us just sitting there, (laughs) because I'm trying to call... I'm trying to do everything I can think of. No, nothing was working. So finally, a cop actually drives by and happens to see us. And his lights go off because obviously we're not supposed to be there. And he pulls up. I inform him that I am out of gas. And for some reason, I can't find any gas stations in Canada so far (laughs) that are open. Or you can just pay for like you can in the States. And so he, I don't remember the order of all of this, but he goes back and does the registration and stuff. And obviously it comes up that Keone hadn't taken care of this. And so he's informing me in the middle of Canada without any gas or um, we're not close to our Airbnb that I have to stay in that town because my car is getting, um, what's the word? Impounded? Impounded. (laughs) (laughs) It's a learning lesson. It's a team building experience for you and the kids. And also, not only was the registration behind, it was so far behind that I couldn't pay for it online. Apparently, if you miss the registration date, obviously... Your car's not registered, but if you miss it even more, <laughs> you can't do you that can't online. You can't just fix it online. No. You got to You got to go in. Yeah. And you can't go in cuz of COVID. So, so you got to email him. Like tries to help me cuz he's got internet in his cop car and stuff and he's like, "Well, if you can just get it taken care of now, then you can go." And I was like, "Oh, well, I'll just take care of it now and Keone can pay me back or whatever." That didn't work because I was not able to take care of it online. So the cop um, tows us to a gas station. And since he is a cop, or no, the tow truck driver has one of these cards that they can use the gas stations. Mm. So the tow truck driver buys us gas 
And then we pay the tow truck driver for the tow and reimburse him for the gas. And then by the end of this, it's like three or four in the morning and the cop just is like tired of us, I think, <laughs> and all of our problems. Your shenanigans? <laughs> yeah. the, the Coke family shenanigans? <laughs> so he just says, I'm going to go to sleep. Just, just get you out know, of here. <laughs> get on out of here. Thanks, Canada cop. They're not called cops up there. Oh, what are they called? I don't remember, oh. but appreciate it. Thanks for looking out for us. But that was one moment that could have ended much worse than it did. Why am I lovable? Or why am I hateable? That's I probably a better question because people, they do. They hate. And I try to like not get people to hate me, but like people are going to hate. I think, and this applies again to the thing that I said earlier where some of the best parts about us or you are some of can also be some of the worst things the duality yeah so i think without myself at, when i met you i was fairly young so i don't think i had thought as much about a what i wanted out of a relationship as much i mean i hadn't had the opportunity to right as much as you had by the time we met because I was old. Yeah, but I think something that's always... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Old as shit. Oh Anyways. God, that's what I was going to say. No, what you were going to say is you didn't have time. You were younger, so you didn't have time to formulate your idea of what a relationship should be. Yeah, so... But I think something that I didn't know I valued... Um but maybe it was just like instinctive of me to value was has always been like for my freedom one of the best things that i would imagine there could be in a relationship or at least from my perspective and my relationship with you is to just be able to be myself and just to be in general and to make whatever decisions i want to make without being told no. Like what kind of decisions? What kind of decisions do you think a normal couple would be like, no, like that I don't. I would never have to ask to go to Peru. I would just be able to communicate that with you. Whereas there's a lot of people I know that <laughs> would be, would have to ask permission. And it might be denied. Yeah. Yeah. That, same quality is also hard because not everything that your partner all the decisions your partner wants to make in a situation like that to be what their version of freedom is is what you see yourself but you have to still honor that if that's what you truly believe give me an example of what of a time like where it's hard to honor somebody's freedom because like I don't feel like that's difficult for me when I look at you I'm like this is an individual human being she has her own wants desires she's gonna go to Peru with her friend Renee that's what she wants to do cool 
like I have a trust for you that you can do that. You can do anything you want and you're still going to want to have a connection to me. I think not everybody feels that way. I think when, I think there's a lot of men out there or, or women potentially who are in a relationship and they're hearing from somebody, hey, I want to go to Peru with a friend of mine and I'm not even going to invite you, potentially. <laughs> that They'd have a problem with that. See, but I feel like, obviously I would never say no, but I feel like I would not have a problem with it, but I would be jealous and want to go too. That's because you like to travel. Oh, I know, but <laughs> that would be, it would be one, maybe not a very extreme example of a time where if, if freedom is my highest valued thing in life, then there's no way that I could ever tell somebody else or take that person's freedom, even on a small scale, away from them. So you think that that's what you subconsciously were attracted to? Is that I... Yeah, because obviously I don't like being told what to do <laughs> obviously, by very many people. Obviously, not even your husband. <laughs> For people who may be listening to this who don't know us, we have a 10-year age difference. So when I met Keone, I was 20, and he was 30. I had only ever really been in two relationships, both of which weren't. I mean, it's fine now, but both, like at the time, weren't. They had some they elements of toxicity. Yeah. yeah, the majority of the people I hung out with, besides the people at like the Anvil who were older than me, um, were my age. So they were like I was around twenty and twenty-one year old guys for the most part when I was hanging out. I don't think at that point I had met anybody on a relationship level that was as clear and direct with me as you were. In what regards? Just about who you were and what I could expect out of a relationship. Like, it was almost an immediate thing. And that was not really something that people my age did. And so it was always really confusing to be in a relationship with somebody at that age because they don't really know how to communicate like that yet, I don't think, for the most part. Like what? You're, be <laughs> you're, you're beating around the proverbial bush. Yeah. You're talking about something that happened, but you're not saying what it is. You're you're beating around the bush, and I can edit this out, but that's what you're doing. So I didn't waste any time. I was more direct. What do you what? Talk about what actually happened. And if you don't like it, it won't ever go to air. But like you told me that you didn't believe in monogamy almost immediately. I didn't. I told you that right away. Yeah. On our first date officially at my house, you were dating college boys. Yeah. And they were going in high school when I was in, in high school and they were going, no, I don't look at Samantha. <laughs> and no, I would never do that. I don't want to do that. That's, I love you. I don't yeah. do this but you were like, nah, -uh. like I'm around dudes enough to know. I told you I didn't believe in that. Didn't necessarily needed to go chase it, but I, at that point in my life, and that was a different time even than we find ourselves now, it didn't seem to make sense and I was just getting divorced. You also had told me 
there was a potential that you and your ex-wife might get back might did i really yeah Hmm. you said well when like right when i first met you right because you were not that far from no being divorced like six months yeah Something I don't like that. remember, but it wasn't. It, wasn't it was pretty fresh, yeah. I think. And I don't, I don't, I wasn't under the impression that you guys like had talked about getting back together. But I think you were in a still, still in a place where, if mm-hmm. she had decided that she wanted to be with you, you probably would have gone back. At that point in the relationship. Well, it was something like it was still fresh enough in my mind that. You know, when you're with somebody for 10 years, even though um, it had gotten to a clear point where it was probably better for both of us and better for the kids, you when you end a relationship that long, it doesn't really matter if it ends well or not. Like it's, you know, it takes a toll on your decision making process because you don't even know how you don't even really know what you want for the most part. But what I knew from my previous marriage was um, I got married way too young and the inexperience that I had and what I took for granted, um, and my, in my own maturity level all led to, and my obsession with martial arts all led to the kind of the downfall of my marriage. But when my marriage was ending and, uh, I was kind of, I was in a horrible place. It was the worst place I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I knew, if, if anything, then I knew what I wanted and I knew what I was going to demand. And for years of my marriage, when I felt like I made my ex-wife miserable and I probably did knowing that I never went anywhere on time. I was, (laughs) I didn't have a compass. Um, I can, there have been times that Tish and I have (laughs) like silently looked at each other and laughed (laughs) because we both know what each other's thinking at that moment when you do something. I wish you had an example to (laughs) share with me. I don't have an example that off the top of my head, but there definitely have been (laughs) moments where you do something and it resonates in both of our heads. And a few times we have made eye contact at those moments and just like kind of silently chuckled. Was was one recently during the meeting of parents? (laughs) Yes, maybe. (laughs) For a travel plan? My name's Keone, and I will not be responsible for the safety of your children on this trip. I am not a chaperone. I had spent the last few years failing my marriage, and um, I had this thought in my mind over and over and over and over, and it it was this. Um, I got in too early. I wasn't mature enough to handle a relationship like this, and there's somebody out there that is the person that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with, and... I knew going through a divorce um, and getting past uh, the life I had with somebody else and the good times I had with somebody else, the bad times I had with somebody else was going to be difficult. But I knew that if I wanted to invest time in somebody again, I wanted to invest time in somebody that was like the one that I thought, you know, and the one that I thought like wasn't some uh, cookie cutter picture of uh, dainty, you know, compliance. It was a, a, a Viking woman. <laughs> it was a Valkyrie. It was somebody super strong. It was somebody who was either athletic or liked being fit and liked being in good shape. Somebody who wanted to live a long, healthy life. 
and uh, somebody with a high level of confidence, somebody who could test me and, you know, push me. And that was you. I want somebody who is going to climb mountains with me or uh, climb hills and say that they're mountains. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. Um, Accurate. (laughs) There's always some gray, okay? It's kind of a mountain. Um, And that, that was you. And I didn't realize that right away. I saw the signs, like I saw all the superficial signs. You were in really good shape, you know, you're beautiful, young, but also intelligent, kind of an old soul. So um, we clicked, but, you know, when I fell in love with you, you know the story, but I'll recount it for the people. Like it really was just a, a blur, but I go to this event. Anyways, I come back and you're sitting on the lawn of our shitty little 33rd Avenue apartments. You're sitting there with uh, Peyton and Ronan. They're much younger children at the time. And you're having a picnic. And uh, you were getting ready to go to Lake Havasu on spring break. And uh, at that time I was like, okay, we're dating. Uh, But you know, she's going out with her friends. Everything's cool. Uh, she's going to take off right after this. And when I came in and I drive, I drove up, I knew that you had to leave almost right away, but you were there taking the time to have a picnic with the kids. And it was just like, it was just like right then, you know, I just knew. And then, uh, almost as quickly as I showed up, you went (laughs) away and I, I'm here now madly in love with Courtney in a moment, in a moment. I'm madly, not because she's just having a picnic with her kids, but like just her, just the whole thing. It's like perfect. And then she gets in a car with, with friends or no, she didn't have friends. She was going to meet up with friends. (laughs) You had four (laughs) friends going with you. I don't know how many were in the car, but you were driving to Havasu. Backstory. We had just got done watching many times. Piranha 3d. Oh yeah that was filmed in Lake Havasu and there were people partying and all kinds of deviant behavior going on. And it's spring break. Of course it is. And so you roll out to spring break and immediately I'm filled with this dread that you are going to sleep with everybody. (laughs) You're going to meet some dude who's your age and you're going to come back to Iowa and you're going to go, Hey bro. I'm out, seas. At the time, I worked at Transamerica, and I was still doing the gym. You know, I was teaching and stuff, but I was working full time still. And every single like, I couldn't sleep all week long. I was I I went from not believing in love really. <laughs> Literally told myself this: you don't love isn't a real thing. It's just you like somebody a lot. You I used told to, me the only way you can truly love someone is if you're their parent. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a dark place. (laughs) I didn't, I wasn't a believer. And, uh, then all of a sudden I believed and I believed and I knew it because I felt it and I, it, it hurt. Like I was lovesick and I was like, what? Like I hadn't felt that. And I, I couldn't even tell you, I don't know if I, I have felt what I felt when you drove away. And I, I sure as hell didn't feel what I felt for that week because I couldn't sleep. I was deciphering uh, broken voicemails that you left me, uh, telling myself in my own mind that you were off to some, you know, uh, sex party or something. Like, just my mind was 
the negativity bias was running wild in my mind. And of course you were just, you know, having a good time with your friends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I talked to my boss. I remember talking to my boss, Michelle about it. And she thought it was the cutest thing ever that I was miserable, that I was so in love with you. And so, um, I resolved to ask for your hand in marriage. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, at this point in time, your dad had passed away. And so we had split up for a while. You were traumatized. Um, I needed your attention <laughs> at the time because <laughs> I was hurting too, you know, like not, not as bad as you were hurting, but I was hurting from this failed marriage and like you were my lifeline. And then all of a sudden you weren't there because you were dealing with all this other stuff with your family and stuff. So we split up, um, pretended we didn't want, uh, or we were done talking to each other for a while. And then we, uh, went to a Hawkeye wrestling meet mm -hmm. to catch back up. And then you said in one of the only moments in our entire relationships where you were vulnerable, <laughs> <laughs> he said, I think we might've made a mistake. And like, I remember this was before that moment. I'm pretty sure. But I remember, um, so happy that you felt that way because, um, I was in a relationship at the time. A serious relationship. It Courtney. It was. It was not serious. It was. Courtney. Courtney Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> now coke for years. It was not. I was in a bad place and I was weighing a lot of things. And I was concerned for you ultimately. I didn't want to have you get involved with somebody and then be 10 years into this relationship and go, what was I thinking getting involved with this old dude when I was 20? That was a concern to me. So I had things to think about, even though you like to rib me about my serious relationship. I made the right call. After some... <laughs> after, some <laughs> after some what? After some... Thought. Not much thought. <laughs> 24 hours, if I recall. 24 hours, you gave me a solid day and I made the right call. <laughs> Thank you for never letting me live that down. And then I got the letter... I love you. No, you don't. Trust and me. You, and then you... <laughs> this is also something that... <laughs> yes, meat and potatoes. Go ahead. So man. we could get back to this other part of the story that we're talking about now, as long as you remember after this little tidbit. I fell in love with you. That's all that matters. So after this lady writes Keone her love letter... I think I'm falling in love with you. And we get back together. Keone <laughs> proceeds to just put this card as a display item up on his bookshelf as like a you walk into the house and here's this woman's love letter to Keone just on display <laughs> for everybody. And I don't know if I was cleaning or if I was just looking hold at on. it. I can't remember, hold but I find I'm Courtney, like looking at it and this love letter is here. Hold <laughs> like on. Keone, hold why on. is Courtney. this on display? <laughs> it's just not hold a big deal to Keone. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how Keone is. On that's display? Like, yes. No, you Courtney. had it like you know how Dude. you set cards up like uh, with the two papers at like a v 
so it stands upright. You had that card up there like that. It wasn't a card. It was paper. It was the paper was in a card. There was a card. Trust me. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> do you do you think that I? <laughs> You're painting an image to the the viewing audience that I put it up in a frame and I'm like, look at the <laughs> love letters. Kind of, you might as well have put it in a frame. It was on his bookshelf. Like right when you walk in to his apartment, there's this bookshelf. And this card is like on prime real estate of this bookshelf. I don't have anything to hide. <laughs> we know. But <laughs> we know she said I was 20 at this time. 21 maybe by now and i was completely transparent with you about everything yeah but it is regardless still odd to display this love um profession profession on your book a proclamation while your girlfriend is frequently visiting but if you want to be with Keone, that's just something that you have to understand might mindlessly happen at some point. I don't have anything to hide. Like, I'm just like, it, this is the amazing thing. <laughs> Most guys would hide this shit. They would put it in like a little box or they'd throw it away or whatever the case may be. I'm like, whatever. I throw it up on the table. And in my... My now girlfriend walks in. And I'm like, read it. Go ahead. In fact, I told you what it said. I'm pretty sure I told you what it said before you found it on the shelf. You I'm found sure it later and read did. it. I'm not saying like I didn't. I wasn't aware of what was gonna be in it if I had stumbled upon it. But it is odd when you're in a relationship with somebody to display. I <laughs> Almost wasn't displaying. invite people to the, look at the word display. <laughs> This letter. Think about our house at the time. Display means. This woman was in love with him. Display. But like I said, that's just something that you can expect from being in a relationship with Keone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If somebody was going to have to tolerate me, what warnings would you give them? If you knew that I was going to have a significant impact on their life. That you're cold. (laughs) Can you elaborate on that? But I'm still sometimes deciding if it's kind of a Coke thing altogether or if it is you. If that makes sense. Like some, I think... And the Cokes are all great people. There's nothing... they're, They're all great people, but there is something very... Disclaimer. And I think, like, like Eric would probably agree with me, and I don't know, maybe he wouldn't, but I feel like not, maybe not just you, but maybe a Coke trait is maybe things that other people are sensitive to, or you would expect other people to be sensitive to, you guys just aren't at all. Do you have any examples, or am I just a straight-up sociopath? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you mean, but I also feel like um, something about our family or something an important thing that my mom taught us anyway is that um, how 
big things are, how big the universe is, how insignificant we are, and how insignificant our little problems are, even though they seem significant. And so sometimes I trivialize things because I just, I try to keep my mind on the grand scheme, but I also know that sometimes I can be cold. And I also know my mom taught me all these little psychological tools (laughs) to manipulate the situation. So tell me about them. I don't, I can't think like off the top of my head of when you're cold. I just know that like you've felt cold. Like I've experienced some sort of hurt sometimes because you seemed to not be sensitive to. Well, and I've been more aware of that because I have used that, that coldness as a psychological warfare tactic when I'm pissed off at somebody. Mm-hmm. I know how to become cold. And it's like, now I'm like, well, that's weak because it's obvious. They know what you're doing and you're still, they're still in your head anyway. They still have emotional headspace. But um, I've used that in the past. Like when I'm pissed off or I'm frustrated, I'll give people literally the cold shoulder. And my mom and my dad used to do that. They were perfectionist of the silent treatment. And it was for a child that like my mom and my dad were God to me. You know, I respected them so much and like I needed them so much. And there was even a time when I didn't have my mom and I felt kind of abandoned not by her, but by a situation kind of. And, um, I think that plays a lot into it, uh, why I'm cold sometimes, but I'm trying to, trying to be better about it. But there's still times when I want to get under your skin that I just don't say anything. And I know it pisses you off worse than anything. But again, now I'm starting, I'm trying to see that that's actually weak in itself. Because if I'm being cold, if I'm responding that way there's something triggering me and that's my issue I should be able to handle it better cold check I've I've said this to you before and I think maybe this is more along the lines of what you're hoping for wait a minute what do you think I'm hoping for me to say something really like mean yeah okay shoot mean at me um there are have been probably numerous times in our relationship where I've wondered if the roles were reversed, if we would have ever been able to make the relationship work. If I were the one who was 10 years older with two kids and my life already started in Cedar Rapids and an ex-wife and all these things... And you were the one who was 20 with no kids and no real ties outside of like my mom and my brother being here. No reason to really stay and kind of having the opportunity to go to San Francisco. At the time, I was going to be going to San Francisco. Mm. Um, For art school. Yeah. If, if our relationship would have worked if you were the one who would have had to give up things like that if you would have been willing to make that sacrifice do you think i would um maybe now i don't i'm not necessarily convinced that at the time you would have 
you've responded with, well, I did have to make a sacrifice. My sacrifice was my any other possible outcome of futures I could have had without you, essentially. That's the sacrifice you've made. Yeah, I think when you get into a relationship, you, both people are making a sacrifice, yeah. and they're, what they're doing is going, um, as an individual, I could experience true liberty and true freedom and do whatever I want. And um, when you get into a relationship, that's not the case anymore. Now what's the case is there's this course together and there's this building together, but there is invariably yes. opportunities missed. So that's that's both parties experience that. That could I agree. be the same for either party. And I felt like the sacrifices that I, or the t- maybe not the sacrifices because I, I don't feel like I, sa- at this point in my life, I don't feel like I, it was like I missed out on anything. Like the fear would be back then that you miss out on it. But at, like looking back at my life, I feel like I've made the right decision and I don't wish I would have done it different. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> but if, if you were 20, and could have made pretty much at that point I could have gone any anywhere but mm-hmm. my sights were kind of set on art school in San Francisco and heading out that direction and kind of being on my own um far away like for an extended time for the first time and um that like giving that up and then also knowing the fact that you weren't able to have kids again I not was easily all, anyway at that 20 I kind of made the decision that I would be sacrificing potentially my ability to have kids with the person that I was married to and in love with just already kind of being thrown into this situation where there are two kids and I'm still like a kid I mean 20 and there's an ex-wife involved and like kind of all this baggage for lack of a better word <laughs> that that I wasn't bringing to the table on on my end agreed um I would agree because I didn't want baggage yeah I right did, so I I'm was saying like I so I uh, early in our relationship and like I don't really think about it that much now because that's irrelevant but even now I could argue and look back and wonder if you would have made those sacrifices for me to make that relationship work. Do you remember, um, and I'm not trying to necessarily defend myself here or say that I would or I wouldn't. I I believe I would, but, you know, you have to be the one that believes that. Well, you did tell me that if I moved to San Francisco, our relationship was going to be over. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Like, if you were going to be there for an extended amount of time, I would have assumed that you wouldn't have wanted to go to San Francisco and continue a relationship with me. I wouldn't, I, I don't know if, but if I had said, if you were going to be moving to Hawaii or whatever, Norway, whatever place you, I've heard you where say, my people come from, <laughs> <laughs> wherever you people come from. And my response was, well, if you move, we're done. I doubt that you would have stayed. Well, what I will say is this. Um, when we first got together, I had a big concern for you. Yeah, I know. 
And that concern was justice. Yeah. The concern was that you, um, being with me limited your opportunity to grow and limited your experience and limited your freedom to do what you wanted to do. That's why, that's partly why I don't tell you what to do and I don't ever put a restriction on you as a human being or try to, because it's not my, you're not my property. It's not my dominion. I don't, I want to grow. I want to fly with you. I don't want to, you know, hold you down. And so I, I feel like I was really honest with you. No, I, and I said, my, my concern was this is baggage, you know, the, this is something you don't need to, to take on, but if you're going to take on, like it's here and I didn't want you because I had done it in my life, look back and go, why? Like, why didn't I go backpack in Spain and meet some tall, dark, handsome man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to get in the way of your ability to live your life. And um, I was, I tried to bring that up right away in our relationship so that you knew that whatever we were doing, like the implications. Yeah. Because you were giving things up and I was going to give things up too, but that's what was um, exciting for me is like it, I was a willful participant in this. I, w- I was in something bigger than myself. I would. I'd stay with you. But but you wouldn't have because... If you had uh, babies and you had kids and you were older than me... I don't think I, if you are necessarily thinking in the same frame of mind that you had when... Because I don't think you would have even got together with somebody with kids. Um, I don't know, but I know when I met you, you were just a hot bartender. I know. Well, no, I don't mean it like that, but like, yeah, I was just a... <laughs> I was hot <laughs> and I was also a bartender, so... I, I sometimes feel like the distance that I had to go to make the relationship work... Yeah. ...was a little bit... Agree. Like, it was a little bit more convenient for you, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know convenient for me, but inconvenient for you. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, we don't we don't line up on every single thing, but that's part of the fun. And I think my misconceptions of marriage before were the cookie cutter thing, you know, where everything is hunky dory and everything feels good and it's all just you know, it's that's not real life. But what we have is this perfect little storm where definitely some storm involved. Oh, there's some (laughs) (laughs) learn today about the storms. So what challenges are you posed with uh, a spouse or a life partner that has a, a almost polarizing view of things? I think back then knowing that there was the possibility that my partner was like making somebody else like, flirting with other people and going out with them and spending time with them and making them feel special was a slight to me, which I don't necessarily think that anymore, but what do you think now? It it caused pain at the time. How would you maybe even still maybe still does? Yeah. Just not as sharp. Like, 
What's changed then? I feel like I've just grown up a little bit. Obviously, I'm 10 years older now. And I don't, I've never believed that you would ever leave me. I wouldn't. I like, I'm, I have a firm belief. No matter how jealous I could get of somebody, I don't ever believe that you would leave me for them. I would never leave you. So all the jealous, I knew, even if it hurt, I knew that it was a jealousy that I was probably creating in my head. How so? Because if I know that you're not going to leave me, then what's, what's the big deal? The big deal with stuff I made up in my head, like, and stuff that I kind of leave, like, I've, that person is somehow more of what you wanted Hmm. than what I was, even though I knew that you weren't going to leave me, but somehow in my head, you would rather, you wanted to be with that person more Hmm. than you wanted to be with me. Do you, and do you still think that uh, if I find somebody else attractive that, that could be the case. Do you still feel that like there's that fear and insecurity that like maybe Keone will like them even more than me, that type of thing? I'm insecure about myself. So I just automatically assume that 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 person is for lack of a better word, more attractive or hotter or better. Something about them is something I'm lacking. Mm. And I now, even though I still feel like that, like I'm, I'm still fairly insecure when it comes to how I look and stuff. So I, I feel that still, but I, now that I'm older and maybe a little bit more mature, I can separate, even though I have those insecurities and even though I might even believe those insecurities, like I might believe that that person is that I am now mature enough to know that that is just my issue and not necessarily your issue don't you think your issues are my issues though and like once we're in a relationship like this I have to in some way honor that and respect that and if you don't feel good about certain things like I owe it to you in our relationship to honor that and recognize that do you think that's disrespectful of me That's, that's the like million dollar question is like, I feel like in relationships it's, do you change for me or do I change for you or do we come together? And I feel like you and I come together and we like see the big picture and the insecurities are there, right? They're always going to be there for everybody. I have my own insecurities. And if people heard you say that you were insecure about things, they wouldn't believe it. And why she's so beautiful she's got a nice body all this stuff but you would go no I don't my shoulders are huge blah 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 I have enormous shoulders I, my boobs are way too big you have beautiful shoulders you have beautiful breasts no you I will quote quote me dig it all up <laughs> dig it all up when we first met <laughs> when we first met go you ahead said all big boobs were was um big big sacks of fat or something <laughs> something like that sacks of fat <laughs> big sacks of fat yeah but i'm telling you yours are pretty nice 
they're put together pretty good and you know it and you know it and well here's the thing everybody has their own insecurities everybody's Mm -hmm. always worried about that do you think that that is why monogamy is so insisted upon ultimately because of people's insecurities because I have a theory on this, but I'm interested in your thoughts. I've said this before to you, too. I find it interesting that... I love it when you say shit like that. Interesting. I'm interested <laughs> I find it now. interesting that... And I don't... Again, I don't like to bring other people's business into things, so I'm not going like, to say any names or how I know any of these people or anything. But there's numerous couples that I've known that have been in open situations. Mm-hmm. Like, a good number to know... I feel like to have a decent idea on what I'm talking about. You name names and it's not true. <laughs> but every single relationship that I know have of personally mm-hmm. that has been open has failed. Except for ours. <laughs> but we're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> Are you expecting us to be done in a bad fashion? No. I feel like saying, we're. I feel like it's. It's. Not many can take it. It sounds like a really cool thing, but. Practical. It's. It is really hard. Do you think that it's hard because um, nobody else is? Do you think it's hard because we live in a, quote unquote, monogamous society, or where monogamy is the standard, and so, you're surrounded by monogamy, and you're reminded that you are so different all of the time, just like anybody else with any potential, you know, perceived differences. Do you think that's a part of it? Like it's not part of our culture. No, it's not part of our culture, but I feel like for the younger generations, it's becoming more part of it. Do you think it all wraps up in insecurity? Do you think that's really the whole thing is like, or trauma, like there's some ownership thing where I need you to validate me by committing yourself in all ways to me. Do you think that's realistic? Like, I think that in a time a thousand years ago, 1500, 2000 years ago, when there just wasn't many people on the planet, (laughs) when you weren't going to happen upon somebody very often, that it was more, and and furthermore, you were going to live to be like 40, maybe. It made sense to, when you see somebody like commit to that person, And even then, people were not monogamous. Do you think that that monogamy or the idea of monogamy like ultimately comes back to ownership and saying you can't? Yeah, that goes along with what we were talking about, I think, at the beginning. With freedom? Like, even back then, I didn't, I don't know if I've ever, like, believed in monogamy or not believed in monogamy. Like, I don't. Your opinions are above these words. (laughs) No, I just... (laughs) I don't think I was always comfortable. I've never been completely comfortable with it. I I think you would agree. I would agree. And that makes me feel bad. But... All the time. That this goes back to what I said in the beginning. I've... Either at the time, unconsciously, but now definitely consciously, know that the thing I value most is freedom so I could never look at somebody and tell them that they don't have that freedom even if that freedom hurts you yeah 
because I would never want someone if if there was something that I felt like I needed in my life and it hurt somebody else I wouldn't want them I wouldn't want to have to say no just because of that and that is what makes both of us selfish probably liberty yeah so in turn because I value that so much and I want that for myself so much I don't feel comfortable telling somebody no so one could say (laughs) that you even if it is painful and uncomfortable for me you entertain the idea of an open marriage if for no other reason than to go unchecked to Peru without any problem whatsoever yes (laughs) fair enough fair trade um well i think that in a time when there weren't many people around when you might not meet people very often when social media didn't exist when online dating didn't exist monogamy and staying with one partner and being committed to one partner was probably a lot easier because there just wasn't that many people around but now we're inundated with selection And on top of that, we have trauma (laughs) from, you know, things we're conscious of and unconscious of that we're trying to fill the voids of. And something that I've told you and I've been honest about that I've almost, I feel like I can track it and I don't want to blame it. I don't want to cast blame, but I feel like psychologically I understand myself a lot better now because I've, you know, looked into things. And I think that there's trauma from my past that makes me want to acquire the attention of females or probably people in general, honestly, if I'm just being completely transparent. And that was a childhood of relative isolation. And my parents uh, didn't try to isolate me or really overprotect me. They (laughs) let me watch, you know, questionable horror movies too early and stuff. But my parents were really close. Um, I didn't really have a lot of friends. I didn't feel like I was worthy of friendship for quite a while. And I felt alone for a lot of my childhood. And then when my parents split up, like I was told that I was going to go live with my dad. And I really loved my parents equally. Like they were both this huge foundation. My dad was, a, you know, the nurturer and the worker. And my mom was kind of the, the hard ass, but the, you know, the person that would, that really instilled the importance of logic and reason and critical thinking and stuff to me. And so when they split up and I was told that the way that it worked out was I was going to have to go with my dad. The way I felt that was my mom didn't care if she wasn't with me. And that hurt because I, I thought that divorce was going to come next and then I'd never see my mom or I'd never see my dad or I'd be cast in between the two and like constantly reminded of a a better life that used to be. And I think that trauma and social isolation is what makes me want to be constantly validated all the time. And I've gotten so much better grip on it, but, um, it, for a while it was really out of control. Like I had no control of myself and if given the opportunity to jump, I would. And I didn't think, I didn't always think about your feelings. Like I did, I always considered your feelings, but I ultimately made choices knowing that it caused you pain. And that, that constantly bothered me because 
now I feel like by expressing myself, I hurt the person that I care the most about and the person that I'm going to spend like the most time with the person I do spend the most time with and the person I love spending time with most of the time, <laughs> unless she's mad at me. Um, that's always, it's always been something in my mind where I've never equated emotion, um, sex to emotion very much. Uh, there's been a few, uh, differences in that. And I continue to learn that there's more of an emotional component that I would maybe admit at first. But for me, the act itself has always been an act and I've always thought people played too much into it. I've always thought that people, I don't like the idea or the concept that women are ashamed because of numbers, you know, I don't think that women or men should be shamed because of numbers provided they're making healthy choices and they're doing what they want, you know, but, um, I've sex has been, and I think a lot of men will relate if they ever hear this, it's incredibly, um, exhausting, you know, you're, you're driven by this chemical and for women and men, it, it seem it's seemingly completely different, you know, and it causes the most horrible shit to happen in people's relationships. You told me something a long time ago and I knew it already. You didn't have to tell me it. I already knew it just because of the dynamic of our relationship. But you said, you literally came out and said, if you cheated on me and I found out that you like slept with somebody behind my back, I would not break up with you. Do you remember saying that? What, what was your reasoning behind that? Because if you can remember. Because there is too much, it's too much to sacrifice, like. Like what? What are you sacrificing? If, if I go out and I cheat on you and then I tell you, hey, I had sex with another woman and then you, why not just divorce me? Why not leave me hanging high and dry and say, fuck this guy? Because we've built a life together and... All, all of those moments and collections of experiences for however many years it was at the time that I said that, I don't know, now is even more. Yeah. Is just not worth it to me. It's not. Why do you think... It would hurt, like... Yeah. Why do you think... I don't think that it, it would be the worth throwing away all of that I don't think it would either and I have the same feeling if you cheated on me and told me about it I'm unless you truly want to go a different direction and you're not interested in me and you know the guy's got the magic stick and it's enough um I wouldn't want you that's that's my definition of trust the the highest definition of trust to me is this It's not, is my wife going to like, uh, commit to celibacy to me? It's, will she commit to me for life when she doesn't have to, when she could do whatever she wanted, when she's unrestricted, when she can talk to whatever man she wants, she can meet whatever man she wants. She can sleep with whatever man she wants. And she comes back to me. That's a choice. That's to me, that's true liberty. That's true freedom. And it's true love and it's true trust. And I don't think 
um, I'm, I'm can set the standard for what people view as trust because everybody's trust is their own and subjective to what they want in their life. But I didn't want my trust for my wife or my partner to be based on a promise to appease me. I wanted them to be genuine and for me to, as a rational, rational adult go is the person that they are still the person I want to be with. Yeah. Okay. Then do that. And if they, if, if something in this other person that they find is so grand that it's worth giving up the collective experiences of me, my children, our time together, all of this stuff, then why would I want you to stay? You would just be appeasing me and I know that you would be miserable. And if I had any self-respect whatsoever, I couldn't allow that to happen. So... Um, I feel like a lot of people in relationships, um, you know, monogamy, if we're, if our life expectancy is 36, that's one thing. But if we're living to be 80 and we're going through transformative shifts in self and in culture now, like every year, seemingly, every 12 months, our whole society can completely change. It seems unrealistic to say, I am only going to want to sleep with you for 80 years. It seems like there can be a balance somehow there, but I feel like people's insecurities and maybe like the spiritual culture of our society is in a place where we're so desperate. We have so little ownership and so little fulfillment. We put all of our fulfillment into a person. And when that person fails to live up to all of the expectation that, that society has kind of told us that they're supposed to be at. We go, I'm throwing his clothes out or I'm getting rid of that girl, blah, 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 blah. They completely give up on it. There's no turning back. And then they take all of that time that they invested in somebody they care about, all of that soul connection, all of the physical connection, all the emotional connection, all the experiences, all of the amazing love. And they throw it away because of something they hate about themselves most of these guys that go out and cheat on their girls or girls that cheat on their guys, some of them are just horny and they want variety, but a lot of them, there's something there. There's something they're not getting. There's something that they want that's not being fulfilled. And I feel like if there's a healthy dialogue more with people in a, a less insecure dialogue, a more secure dialogue, there'd be more understanding. Here's one thing I feel like I know 100% because... Of how much time I've spent around men. 100 percenter. I like this one. Most of my... I'm going to venture to say... Damn near all of my best friends in life have been males. And most of the people I spend the most amount of time around are males. throughout, And this has been the case for almost my whole life. Mm-hmm. Men... The amount of time they are focused on <laughs> sex. It's a disability. Is so exponentially different from how much fe- like females and their conversations and their mm. daily lives are <laughs> are focused on sex. And like, I don't. I'm not saying I agree with like the locker room talk thing that goes around, but like 
men men talk about sex quite literally i i want to say 98% of the time that i'm talking to them they're talking about sex not 98 <laughs> not 98 well you're talking about brent you're talking about 98 percent is not that different when it comes to that than <laughs> a lot on, of dude. the men that i've known in my life nobody talks about posse more than brent she, okay he probably is yeah he is shout out just so you know <laughs> brent's happy right now he's excited about it and we are too but it is disproportionate like it's a very disproportionate and i like i have female friends that are very open when it comes to talking about sex and like and it even like the most vocal female i know what do you want to name names no okay (laughs) is disproportionately less focused on sex than the average man that i know so it's so why well, I don't. Chemicals? I don't know all the reasons why. Just Probably chemicals? life experience and chemicals and. I feel like it's evolution. chemicals. Evolution. I don't. Well, and yeah, I think you don't want to, you know, start any debates online about creationism or evolution. But yeah, we have instinctive urges, and um, those they're they're traceable. They're measurable. Like you can measure hormones in the human body. And when hormone, when testosterone surges, your sex drive increases. Your thoughts are dominated by it. And and I think the thought of that actually being true, and I feel like why I, I'm saying that is because I feel like women, women don't even want to know how much it it is that they're focused on sex. Like, oh, sure. I feel like there are husbands of why or people that I know that would be shocked to hear some of the things and mortified that their husbands say when they're not around. Yeah, when yeah. they're not around. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Courtney? Spit so it. that it, like you. To me, that is, I, whether I'm comfortable with all the things that you say when I'm not around. You're talking to me personally? At, yeah, at this okay. point. Whether I'm comfortable, which I'm not, I'm probably not. Like, But you say the same things around me that you do when you're not around me. Like I've heard you say it all and same with Brent. Like, Give me an example. Says, no, but like very vulgar, <laughs> like things that have to do with other women and being interested in other women that mm. that most people I'd feel like don't say around they don't they don't and I know because I've been around couples that are to get like when they're together and then I've been around <laughs> yeah. couples also when they're not together and not always but like they I feel like they would be shocked to hear some of the things that their husband says or thinks or believes but to me, lots of times that spouse has either a put 
put themselves in that situation by not making that acceptable behavior. Yes. Oh, God. So relieving to hear you say that. And I just wouldn't... I... My fear in a relationship would be that I wouldn't know that. Whether I'm comfortable with it or not. Right. That you might cause a condition or support a condition where they wouldn't be open enough with you to tell you how they really feel. Yeah. And then they don't start harboring. And this is a true thing. Yeah. If, if women, I feel like, know on, on the whole that men are horny animals. And they're simple. Right? Food. Sex. Um, give them something to do for a little while and then let them sleep mm-hmm. and they're fine. Basically take care of themselves. Sometimes they pee inside the toilet ring too. But m- women kind of, I feel like can unilaterally go, yeah, men are horny. But on the flip side, they recognize this truth. It, it burns inside of them. Potentially it causes all kinds of insecurities to fester more and more thinking that their men are thinking about other people. And then if, uh, uh, in this case, in my experience, if, if me, a man vocalizes these things and says, Hey, I'm going to be really honest about what I'm thinking right now. It's too much. You know what I mean? Like the immediate response in reaction is not good from, from the, the, my wife or my significant other. Now I don't want to talk about it anymore. And now I either talk about it with my friends really wishing that I could talk about it with my life partner and wishing I could develop some kind of like a really close connection with this and feel normal or I put it and I bury it. And I've had relationships in the past where I've had to do both where I've had to act a part or I thought that's what was act, what was expected of me is to just bite my tongue and not talk about it. And then times when I've been open about it, what I've noticed about it is when I had an open dialogue, when I had, Somebody who I could say, oh my God, that chick's ass is ridiculous. And my wife can go, yeah, I know. It's like, it's like diffusing. It's like diffusing, um, angst, diffusing this natural aggression that men have. And I feel like when insecurities are injected into the mix and people are, they feel like they can't say what they really feel, tension builds. Intention builds most commonly in a relationship where I can't say what I'm thinking. It's just as hard for a man to understand. I feel like the emotional component of sex for women as it is for women to understand just the animal physical act of sex for men. And I feel like there's a disconnect there where men see it as a physical act. Women see it as something more. And when men treat it as what they see it as a physical act, women feel betrayed because they see it as more than that. They see it as a deeper emotional connection. I feel like typically, and this is probably because of how we're brought up in comparison to women or in comparison to men, but I feel like generally going into relationships, women um, are putting up a little bit more of a front. Sure. When it comes to what they want out of the relationship. So... How so? When? Sorry. So when a man and a woman, like, our first meeting, I feel like typically the female tries to be more of what that that male wants. 
what they think whether the it male is wants. actually what they are or not right I think guys do that too absolutely yeah. but in regards to to you entertaining females mm. this is part of the piece of the puzzle that I have to say for me entertaining females yes okay. I have to start here okay I feel That's like women typically will will lie about their intentions of what they want out of a relationship in the beginning maybe a little bit more than a man will. I feel like a man is maybe less sure of what he wants and which is why typically the cliche is that they want to have more of a less serious relationship so they can still feel like they're allowed to meet other people or hook up with other people. The failure, the scare, being scared to commit type thing. Yeah. And a female fairly shortly into meeting somebody will probably have already kind of figured out what that person's type is and what um, they need to be in order to maintain that relationship. Hmm. And I feel like they, they try to do that. So in regards to you and entertaining other women, my issue has always been the fact that I feel like I know what you're doing, but I feel like the female on the other side is putting up an, a completely fake front the same way that a woman would in the woman would in the beginning of a relationship to make that happen because really what they want is to feel that validation and is to feel like you're chasing after them when what they're saying they want is a one night stand mm-hmm. but really that's never been true that's the hook yeah yeah i feel like you could say i have a wife i am only looking for this and casual sex whatever yeah and if it happens more than once maybe it happens more than once but i'm not gonna entertain you this isn't like i'm you're not my girlfriend right oh yeah like that's totally what i want never is it has it been what that person is it needs or wants well and that's not to say that there's not people out there that that is what they want but they're rare. Yeah. They're the exception to the rule. Typically, and if you haven't texted them by the next day, they've already gotten a hold of you. They've, oh, you're in my dreams, this, this, and this, and this. And it's like, you really, really did fake that you understood. Yeah. And they, they will. And I don't even know if it's conscious. And I think that's the same thing that happens. A lot of times in these early relationship scenarios where a guy kind of sometimes either is just a douchebag or either way, whether he's a douchebag or he's honest, he's kind of communicated through his actions or through his words that he is that person. He's Roman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah. And a female typically will be kind of like, oh, yeah, like I totally understand that's that makes sense. But in the, on the inside, that is not what they think at all. And that's confusing. And could you, can I argue that's dis, that's disingenuous? Yes. But that's not to say there aren't things that men do that are completely disingenuous as well. I'm not just saying, saying in regards to, but like in this the, situation, yeah, the that's, honeymoon that's phase. how I'm trying to relate it to how I felt 
about me. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right because um, I've seen it. I've felt that. I've seen people going, oh, no, yeah, I'm cool with it. And it's like, no, you're not. If, if, if somebody else will text you more or message you more, you'll, you'll stop talking to me in a second. And what I found that was actually really interesting when um, I did talk to people was um, I think you can attest that I'm pretty upfront, pretty transparent, pretty direct and to the point. I don't really care about people's judgments of me, so I'll be very, very direct. And um, uh, per our agreements, I don't want to invest a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time to invest in things that I'm interested in in my life. I take really seriously. I'm not going to be developing relationships with people. So when I would talk to people and go, hey, this is um, who I am. This is my situation. I can't entertain you. I'm, I'm a very busy person. If you're interested in this situation, then that's fine, but you're going to have to let me know and this is the way it's going to be and that's it. When people find out that you can't entertain them or you won't entertain them, specifically you won't entertain them, they just disappear. And sometimes specifically with women, when they they feel like whether or not you could lay all of that out and a lot of times in a woman's head she's gonna be like well i'm gonna fuck him and i'm gonna do it so good (laughs) that i'm gonna change his mind i'm gonna change his mind yep and the next day (laughs) that's my plan going into this because again women have kind of socially been conditioned into a Mm. thought process like that well and this is a legitimate way to seduce your way into power and like it's all throughout history it's been this has been a documented thing not necessarily like succumbing to sex but like using seduction in a lure so regardless of all those upfront things that you have said and whether they agree to it or not in their head i can almost 100 percent guarantee i agree that in their head they're gonna be like okay well he said that but i'm i'm this goddess and i'm gonna fuck him so good that it's gonna make him forget yeah about everything he has with this person and i'm slowly gonna whittle my way in and and that works sometimes for the record like that happens yeah and i can see it because when they don't get texted like the very next day hey I, you, you were just in my dream last night. It's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't know, but you're in my dream. So and I know cool. that I fucked you so good that I have to be in yours. Do you want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> it's simple, though. It's basic. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but um, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, as they say. But being being married to me is not an easy thing. No. It's not for everyone. <laughs> it's probably not for anybody but me. I'm 100% Likewise sure. on my end, though. How so? What are your challenges, Courtney Johnson? I meant likewise that I don't think anybody would I know. ever put up with me. So what do I put up with? Because <laughs> you put up, obviously you put up with some Well, there's shit. more that I put up with, but. What do you put up with? What more do you put up with? Because we've got bad sense of direction. (laughs) We have untimely behavior. We have a certain coldness. 
And now we have an insistent upon insistence upon at one point in time or another, an open relationship. He can Demanding. sometimes be a little whiny. How so? What do you mean, how so? You just how sometimes can, I... can be a little whiny. <laughs> Tell me how. <laughs> Tell me how I can be whiny. Like, give me a, like just one little quip it or example mm-hmm. of how I'm whiny because you're not alone in this this assertion. I know uh, your mom. My my own parents had me yes. jailed one time <laughs> when I was a youngin. Because I was a whiner and they drafted a, a warrant at the local blacksmith. And the warrant said, uh, wanted Keone the whiner. <laughs> and the whiner text was just as big as my name. So it was pretty important that I was a whiner. So how do I whine? I, I feel like I bitch a lot now. <laughs> and I complain about the things that I want to be better in the world. But I, I try not to whine. But if I do whine, tell me. It's pretty about pretty uninteresting things. <laughs> like if the dog were to happen to piss or shit in the house. I go on <laughs> and on. It's just like by the time he's done whining about it, it could have already been picked up. So at this point in my life, if I if that happens... I just am fully prepared to be the one that cleans it up right away <laughs> because I know that if Keone is in the situation, he'll spin around in circles whining about it for about 15 <laughs> minutes before he cleans it up. <laughs> Instituting a lesson to my family on why <laughs> this should not have occurred. And my whining is so incessant, it drives them crazy and they stop listening to me. Can we talk about you? Yes. And the madness that you drive me to? the other things that I would say. (laughs) She's got a list. (laughs) She's got a list. Everything's coming to mind now, baby. I think that... Lean in on this mic, please. I think that... You... Or... You want me to say it. I want you to say, I want people to get... Um, I think you have a very high sense of self in oh, a... Yeah. Um, sometimes to a degree that is off-putting to people, including me at times. Not all the time, but at times. <laughs> <laughs> A high sense of self. Maybe I worded it wrong. No. How, but like, what type of thing do I do that make, that makes you think that? Or that makes other people think that? Like, people, there's people that don't like me, for sure. Yeah. So why don't they like me? I can just think of examples in our... Okay. Like... You once you once told me that I was a a god wannabe. <laughs> yeah, I that I that. wanted to be God. That I want to be God. I feel like if you could pick anything in the world, <laughs> you would pick to be God. Why? Um, Why would I be God? I think your intentions are good, but I think I think you 
I find my, I myself find it hard to relate to a lot of people. I feel like you probably feel that in some respect. Yes, no, maybe not. That it's hard to relate to people? On certain levels. Hmm. Maybe not. I try to, I try to think that I can relate to people and I try to um empathize. And this here's a good example. We'll do the Costa Rica meeting as an example. So for Peyton's senior year, we've always told her that she could pick a destination anywhere in the world that she wants to go and we'll find a way to get her there. Yeah. And we'll <laughs> no fail. matter what. And we failed. We did. COVID. <laughs> COVID Thank came you, COVID. and Peyton had always said she wanted to go to Paris. It's always there's just with the restrictions and the way it's all set up (laughs) yeah we couldn't go to paris no matter how much i wanted to get her there so among a few other um entries i think what was it turks Turks and cake. And then Aruba and Peyton heard Turks and cake on a Drake song and went, I heard it's really cheap. No, it ain't. We ain't got Drake's Turks and cake money. (laughs) So, but we landed on Costa Rica and it, which seems fine to land on to me. Yeah. She's happy. I mean, she's not upset about it, but, um, anyways, she, we found this place and, a couple, her and her friends had kind of started this search for a trip to go on for spring break because they wanted to go together. So, um, I don't know if she wanted us to come or if, if Tish suggested that she invite us or how it happened that we got invited to come to the spring break trip. We did get invited and, um, see, I thought we were invited but that was it. I found out there was all kinds of people invited. <laughs> but at this point, she had been. The idea was that it was going to be our family, um, and then her friends, Peyton's boyfriend Clayton, and her two of her. Well, friends. one of her friends and her boyfriend. Right. Well, they're probably all friends. But, yeah. They're all. Um, a so bigger group. Two, well, I don't, only one of the parents, I guess, we hadn't met before. The other two parents we know. Mm-hmm. Clayton's mom and, and Kendall. Kendall's mom. Um, yeah. The other person had never met us, and so she was just wanting to meet our family before she sent her son off to another country with these people. <laughs> yeah. And um, our style of parenting i guess is a little bit looser than i don't think it's loose i just think our style of communication is way more filterless than most people and i think i'm but i also think that maybe we're maybe you tish and i aren't like maybe that was a wrong word i just feel like i know more about the reality of or i'm accepting to more of the reality of high school, what goes on in high school. Yeah, people drink and fucking smoke and do stupid shit. I should clarify that Peyton isn't really like that. So I don't want to make it sound like she goes out and parties and just chill with it. But like Yeah, pretty straight cookie. Um 
We have I, if I wouldn't be surprised if a high schooler came home and smelled like booze at yeah. some point. Like I just I would expect that to happen at some point, and it never has with Peyton. But um, I am open to the reality of that happening. being the reality in high school, especially since I coach a lot of high school kids and. It's got to happen. Yeah. <laughs> they want to do it. Yeah. You might as well like be able to be safe. And my, my thought is don't be stupid. But if you're stupid, call me. Yeah. So that you're not stupid. Yeah. So you're not type of thing. Stupid. Like I, I was there. I know I moved out at 16. I got the whole thing. I know yeah. what you want to do. I know what you want to spend your time doing. Just be safe about it. Yeah. But so I think sometimes the way we do things is co- I, I don't think I know because it's completely different than the way I was raised and um, <laughs> I know other people are raised and this family I would say would more align with just not wanting to know the reality of high school kids yeah. and what they do willfully ignorant yeah but regardless I would definitely understand a parent wanting to meet the family of somebody who her kid is going to a different country with. Which is why we, we called this yes. meeting. So there was going to be this meeting and we we're going to meet at hard drive. And it was basically, I was under the impression that everybody was already going because I had already paid for the place we were staying. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was still waiting to get money back from these people who had already agreed to go. And, um, so I was, I honestly thought that this meeting was her just wanting to shake our hands and say, hey, like, I, at least I know you now and we can talk. But really, I think it seemed like when they got there, Keone wasn't even down there yet, but it seemed like everyone was just kind of looking at me and ready for me to announce some sort of. My name on. is Courtney <laughs> Johnson and I've arrived with all the travel plans. So right at this point, when I kind of realized that this is maybe a speech on my end about our itinerary and all of this extra stuff, um, Keone walks in. (laughs) Fresh out of the shower. And I'm not, I haven't, I maybe had just introduced myself and maybe I think I said, this is Tish, this is Peyton's mom, blah, blah, blah. Formal introductions. Keone walks in, I think one arm is like up in the air waving, another one's holding his coffee and he goes, hi everybody, my name is Keone and I just want to be very clear that I am not going to be responsible for your kids on this trip. (laughs) And what Keone meant to say was, look, like, I'm going, I'll be responsible for your kids' well-being, and I'm going to make sure that they don't get kidnapped right. or anything like this, but if I'm sleeping at a, at three in the morning and they get up and do some stupid shit, I'm not going to be held responsible for that. Right. Like, that was a decision that your kid made. Um, I can't control your child 100% of the time. Yeah. I don't how it want, came off. Right. How it came off was... Very much like I'm, I'm in charge here, and this is. It it was, like he was addressing, a jujitsu class. Like he just kind of came in. Like a commanding officer. Like he was in in charge of this meeting, and right. maybe there needed to be somebody in charge at this point because I was like baffled as to what I was supposed to right. be doing. Right. <laughs> right. But, 
Um, <laughs> we called a meeting and didn't know why. <laughs> but I think you are so used to being the head person in charge or like the one that everybody is kind of looking to to make a speech or make a statement or come direct them to do something because you're the head coach or you're the owner or you're this and you're that 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 bleeds into how you talk to other people sometimes and even myself even knowing that that you're used to being in that position sometimes when you address me it feels like that like like i'm talking like down to you this tier up here that you're coach or owner and and i'm student and i think people who don't know you are like very 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 off put by that but i don't think it's i don't believe that you're walking into a situation and think that you're up here i just think that because of who you are and and the positions you're used to being in where you're you're the one talking to a group of people every day or you're the owner in charge making all these decisions i think that that is just how you're used to communicating yeah so it bleeds into the way you communicate with other people sometimes do you think that's why i you could perceive me as cold at times yes what was the summary <laughs> What? what was the summary of my speech to the parents? Hey, my name's Keanu Coke. Wait, <laughs> you have to read. You have to cut that out. <laughs> hey, my name's Keanu. <laughs> Just say it with some. Ch say it with your chest. Hey, my name's Keanu Coke, and fuck all your kids. <laughs> Peace. I'm gonna be on the beach. In our conversation about that, not to get too off topic, was really simply this: I didn't plan on any other kids coming. I thought like it was going to be Peyton and like Peyton or us or Peyton and us. I didn't know that her friends were coming. And what I wanted to say very clearly to them, and I, I know now, was, hey, um, this is probably going to be great. But I'm not going to be held personally or financially responsible if your kid in the middle of the night sneaks off and then gets abducted or killed or some shit. I'm not going to have that on my conscience. So... I'll be looking at, I don't want that to happen. I'm going to ensure the best, you know, safe travel. But ultimately you cannot put, if you're not going to be there, 100% personal safety in my hands of a teenage kid. Like I'm not going to follow them around. That was kind of what I was trying to say, but it didn't come off like that. And it didn't come off like fuck your kids, but it did <laughs> kind of a little bit. Yeah. But I and so much so to the to the point that Tish was standing right next to me at this meeting and immediately sees that everybody is like, well, so actually what immediately happens is this mom raises her hand up and says, well, I can tell you right now that I'm, I'm have not a problem comfortable with, with that. that. And then leans up against the wall. <laughs> yeah. And Tish goes, Tish immediately goes, well, I'll hang out with yeah, you. I looked, I looked at Tish and Tish. Tish is Tish my ex-wife. My ex-wife Tish is sitting there now just loving the opportunity to go to Costa Rica and I'm ruining it. I'm ruining everything. After I say this, Tish literally I see her look up at people in a panic. 
Like, I'll no. Hang out with the kids. No, I'll, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. And I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm making everybody feel bad now. But um, okay, so I my communication can be cold and off-putting because I have a bit of a authoritarian or uh, elitist there is hair. this little, like, I'm not going to get into whether or not MMA and combat sports is like the hardest thing you can do in the world. I know that it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And I know that you guys believe that it's one of, if not the hardest thing that you can do in the world, you and your brother. I don't think it's the hardest thing you can do in the world, but I think, um, just to clarify, I think it's one of, I think to exist in an environment where violence is controlled or I'm sorry, uncontrolled or more uncontrolled than it is anywhere else in any other everyday life to be able to control your mind in that fire is takes a mental fortitude that most people can't understand. I would agree with that. I believe that anybody pursuing anything to the highest degree Hmm is probably doing something that's considered to be the hardest thing in the world to be Ill, to be in the top 1% of anything. Right. And you're pursuing it with everything you have it that thing will be hard at some point. like hard is subjective. Yes. The 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 point that I seek to clarify with MMA specifically or with with these types of situations is the ability to deal with the most extreme of circumstances, a circumstance where essentially somebody is trying to kill you and you're asked to remain controlled and calm in that situation. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that does to, um, take, uh, uh, mental traits that not everybody has. Correct. And I know just from having talked to you and having talked to Eric for all these years that you guys do believe that that sets you apart from a lot of people and you i think because of that belief the commu- the way you both communicate sometimes feels to other people like, like you believe yeah that you believe you're better, better than them worth more yeah yeah because you believe you possess those traits and when you believe you possess those traits you have a certain aura anybody who believes they possess those traits has a certain aura about them and that aura combined with being the leaders of teams and businesses and stuff is can be off-putting to a lot of people do you think it's arrogance or do you think it's a level of confidence that most people can't recognize or do you think it's somewhere in between i think it's less arrogance than it is um, the confidence. But whether that is perceived by other people as confidence or arrogance. Sure. A lot of people would see it as confidence. A lot of people see like Conor McGregor is arrogant. They don't take into account that a, he's more confident than you are. Yeah. Yeah. He's more confident than you are, and you might not even recognize what that confidence looks like. B, he's an entertainer. 
So you're you're kind of taking what he's saying at surface level, and he's trying to make he's trying to get an emotional rise out of you. But is it arrogance? Does this person believe that this person is worth more than you? Do they worth? Do they think that they're they're more valuable than you? That they have a higher opinion? That they're more important? Um, I can see why people think that. And I also think combine combine that with the fact that a lot of people are going to be scared to challenge you mm-hmm. and especially Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is what we really want. Makes it two times the... Even easier. Yeah. Even easier to make assumptions. Yeah. And go, oh, this guy's, you know, what I... I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Get him away from me. He's going to tell me things about myself or about himself. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And, um, I understand why people might feel that way. And I guess that's just occupational hazard to a certain degree. But I feel like if I was the boogeyman or this person's boogeyman or I was arrogant or whatever, however somebody wanted to paint me, I don't feel like I would have been able to get to this point. No, yeah. There's also times, though, where, like, I'll be sitting with you at Bo's house, and Bo's never obviously commented on this to me. This is just an observation that I've personally made and never communicated with him about. But there will be times where, where he's brought up something, like he has something to say about it, and then he talks for, like, a second, and then you take over, and it's like, the 50 second thing and whatever he was going to say is kind of like just erased at that point because you know a minute later like it's kind of irrelevant Mm. and i don't even think you notice stuff like that i do not all the time but sometimes i'm like "Ah, you went too long (laughs) or like you stole he didn't even get he didn't even say the point that he had initially brought up yeah I'm aware of those things like not always but there are times where after I like I notice and I'm like eh you know I don't like I might not comment on it but I I check myself constantly probably to a fault and uh but being at Bo's house there's very few people like places that I feel like I can just like let let yeah, go right. and yeah. be free and so sometimes when I get at his house I just go a little nutty <laughs> But, um, no, there ha- that has to be true because, um, there's people that have been what I think close to me that have drifted away from me. And I think that my, my mom blessed me with a perspective of life that knew how fleeting it was and knew how little time I have and, and knew what I wanted to accomplish. I didn't want to accomplish little things. I wanted to make vast, big impacts on people. So I'm constantly thinking about, um, how I can better myself and ultimately I I've gotten to a point in my life where I believe that the reason that I was put here and the reason I was given the the opportunities that I was given and the reason that I'm paired up with you in life is to deliver some kind of message to the world about what we could and should be and um, I'm just probably in the infancy of developing that but it's always been really, really simple to me since I was a kid 
why don't people get along? Why are we still at war with each other across borders and religions and ideas? Why can't people just find understanding for each other? Which is why I'm wanting to do this podcast. I want to talk to people from my present, my past, and complete and total strangers. I don't. I feel like you're never going to please everybody. And I'm doing the very best that I can do to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish before I die. That's it. And there's going to be people out there that see what I do. It doesn't matter how nice I am. doesn't matter how kind I am. doesn't matter if they've talked to me. They're going to see cauliflower ear. They're going to see tattoos. They're going to see a pronounced eyebrows and go, I'm going to form opinions about this guy. And most, I feel like most of the time pe- people's opinions are uh, mis- misguided or misaligned based on the way I look or the way I carry myself. And if they really knew me, they'd just know that I was a shy little boy that was angry and sad about being a shy little boy enough to teach himself how to fight. And now I have a confidence that can't be shaken. I'm pretty much a huge piece of shit at this point. <laughs> I talk over this people. This is what you asked me to do. I know. Is there anything else that I got a God complex? I think part of the God complex, in addition to that, I feel like that's spooky that you say God complex. <laughs> you, like, you said it. That's why. Well, I it's just said it. funny, but it's like it weirds me out that you say that because, like, I try to be as humble as I possibly can be in recognition of how insignificant we are, and how vast the universe is. So when somebody tells me I have a God complex, it's like, it's very strange to me because I recognize that like I'm not even close to that idea. I, um, what I will say is this, I want to get closer. I want to know what it's like to be godly. I want to know what you, you can attest to this, to my manic episodes of cleaning and trying to be perfect. I know. To I think more what I mean degree. is like, and, and I'm going to use the import, the word important because it in, is important, important because it's the only word I can think of right now in this, in this moment. I don't feel as though I'm important enough to have a podcast. You feel like you are, whether you are or you aren't, mm-hmm. or you could be or you can't be, important enough to have a podcast that people need to listen to. Mm-hmm. And when I say God complex, I don't literally mean Keone thinks he's God. I mean, Keone tends to have maybe it's just a really really high self-esteem i don't know (laughs) the need and the to be heard and seen i think um, sometimes stems from wanting to have control over a situation or a group which kind of makes sense because you do have control over a group I do think that I have the perspective that people need. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. Um, I don't think that I have a perspective that people should be forced to have. But I, I believe, I truly believe this, that, and I think that to accomplish something, anything, 
I know this to be true. You have to believe in it. If you don't put the, the idea in your mind that it is going to happen, it won't. It doesn't matter what it is. Any champion, any business owner, anybody knows this. I have spent my whole life thinking about ideas that nobody believes in. And I'm just tired of them not believing in them. I'm tired of people telling me things like, oh, well, world peace is never going to happen because it's never happened before. When everything that ever has happened in the world happened after it never happened before. It took people believing that it could happen. It took people talking about these ideas. I don't try to celebrate how grand I am and all the great things that I do for people. I just try to like do it, try to build, you know, people that uh, are more confident and eventually potentially build leaders out of them so they can go lead other people and give back in some other way. But I feel like I've always had a true sense of perspective of what the world needs. And I feel like I've had a pretty unbiased perspective of politics and of religion and of sex. I feel like I've tried to, because of my mother and my father, cultivate an incredibly diverse and neutral perspective that honors ultimately life, liberty, and love. Pursuit of happiness, up to you with hard work. That's the message um, the importance for the rest of my life is I'm going to continue to be a martial artist, but I used to think when I was, you know, 20, that was it. Martial arts was it for me. And like, if I could like learn how to fight, I would be more than I ever imagined as a child that I could be. And I did that pretty early. And I proved that to myself. Now I want to prove a different idea. And I want to prove that, um, Ideas are contagious and that the world, um, in order to survive, for humanity to survive, the, the, what we need to do is collectively work together to form connections, to get rid of perceived divisions, and utilize our, co our collective intellect, our collective resources, to ensure the survival of our species. The reason that I feel so strongly about that is because I know because my mother taught me that people suffered before I came here. They suffer now, and they'll probably suffer in the future in ways that I can't possibly imagine. Um, when I grew up and learned about injustices throughout history, um, all I could think of is knowing about science, you know, being brought up in a scientific home that, that human beings were now aware of our own mortality. We're the first species that we're aware of that's actually become self-aware that we're going to pass away someday. Furthermore, we're the only species that's become self-aware that even beyond our own mortality, eventually Earth and our cosmos will implode upon itself and we need to find some other home or, or some other way to survive or else we'll go extinct. The idea of people leave, leading insignificant lives or um, feeling insignificant or being persecuted or subjugated to torture and death and rape and famine and all of these things. And then someday a comet comes out of the sky and just eviscerates and evaporates everything into nothing. That's the saddest idea that could ever be to me. That's the saddest idea in my mind that all of these kids and these people and these innocents suffered. And we as a human civilization didn't get to a place 
where we could go, hey, we made it. Your suffering was not in vain and it will never be in vain because we can <coughs> transcend. That idea has always been in my mind and maybe always is, is relative to when my mom and pacifists in my past put that into my mind. But um, now I feel the world is in such disarray and so chaotic and our culture has bred a, a culture of non-leaders it's bred a cult. It's, it's almost made leadership or any kind of dominant trait really unattractive. Um, I spent 40 years of my life talking to my friends about it and talking to it about, you know, talking about those ideas and those concepts of unity and diversity and liberty and love and all this stuff to people in here. And I feel like I created that, that environment in here. And I, again, I'm not trying to brag about myself, but I made it about, I made it out of nothing. A lot of people helped me. A lot of people helped me. But the original idea when I was training myself in my parents' basement with books from the library, there was nobody there. You know, so when I took that and that idea and I made me love myself for the first time and then I helped other people love themselves and subsequently see the value in loving other human beings. I wasn't consciously doing this at the time. At the time, I was just trying to become a better martial artist and like, you know, uh, vanquish my own demons but what I learned was if I believed in an idea and I put enough work into that idea into an idea that actually is you know has traction inside of people's souls and hearts things amazing things can happen it's not me I didn't do all this I started an idea and I, I pushed it forward I've got a lot to think about before I schedule my next guest <laughs> mom <laughs> Um, well, I, I wanted you to be my first guest because I wanted you to, to, uh, expose me and, uh, absolutely imperfect. Everybody's imperfect, you know, but I want to, the, the root thing that I want to do with the rest of my life is deliver a message that's very simple, you know, and that's that through connectivity, through unity, through diversity, um, through, through the at, truly acts of extreme love, um, we can transcend whatever we are right now and become something greater. And I think we have a moral obligation to ourselves and to our society, and to our world, to constantly try to improve. I think that's what in, really invited me to martial arts and why a lot of athletes love athletics, because they constantly have to gauge their improvement and slowly whittle away We've done that for years. We've done that for our entire lives. You know, we've whittled away and we've, we've tweaked and we've doubted and we've, tr you know, triumphed and all of this stuff. But now I want to take those lessons and give them to other people and just say, um, first of all, uh, let's talk face to face. Let's not text. Let's not take inflection away. Let's not take eye contact away. Let's sit down and talk and realize that online on text i can't see your humanity i can't feel your humanity i can't be a part of it i can't be uh, a piece of it all i see is text and when i see text i formulate text in my own mind and i ship it back and so we've kind of been given this pseudo connectivity with the internet and with social media which i think is really more pulling us apart than it is uniting us and i think right now because of all of the issues I don't even need to go into climate change, you know, uh, social upheavals here and there, 
we need to now more than ever find a way to unite and find a way to find common ground. And part of that is going, I can't get to the truest. If, if I say what I want to do is get to my truest sense of self and do what I really want to say, I can't say that without any critique. I can't say that by going, oh, I'm going to put myself in a nice padded little room and where nobody can hurt me. I need all the punches. And that's why I wanted you. Because you would dish them out the way they're supposed to. And you were even kind tonight. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your your kindness to I'm me. I'm always kind. You are always kind, but you could have been much meaner to me. And you could have got, you know, you could have... What did you expect me to say? I ex- you know, I expected you to, to be nice. But what you could have said is, um, you lied to me and you were unfaithful to me. One time. Well, I honestly don't even think about that anymore. Well, I know you don't, <laughs> but it's true. And I feel like since dad passed away, um, and you probably felt this a lot after your dad passed away too, that it completely like um, narrowed your focus on what was important and what was valuable in life. And when, when my dad passed away, now this will be three years in July, I went from being an idealist piece of shit to an idealist kind of piece of shit. (laughs) And I was trying to constantly, and I am still trying to honor my dad and live the life he would be proud that I would live, not the life that I was living before. And the life I was living just before my dad passed away was even that, even when I had, I feel like I had evolved and I had gotten to a place that I would have admired as a boy. I still wasn't where I needed to be. And then when he passed away, it was like everything came into view. All of the the decisions I would have made selfishly before that, I thought about much more earnestly. And I went, okay, like, how is this going to make Courtney feel? And how is this going to, you know, am I getting enough time with Ronan? Like, I started thinking about things completely different. And I think loss does that. You know, I think when loss happens, people figure out what's really, really important. And I feel like I know what's important. And I feel like you and I both know that we are very much aware of how little time we have. And the purpose of this, uh, this podcast, God complex or no. And maybe sometimes part of the reason, and you can inject this. You just, you just cut me off. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) This is the whole thing here with us. Part of the God complex thing I've thought about before is also <laughs> you spent time on this. <laughs> well, it could also be the fact that we're 10 years apart and mm. whether I like it or not, you have more life experience than oh, me. Oh <laughs> my God. What? Where? I don't necessarily think that makes you wiser than me. You have never in 10 years wasn't a handshake <laughs> it was a you've point. never in 10 years when i've i've tried not to bring this up i've tried not to pull the ace in the hole out and talk about my life you've experience said i've said it before but i've tried not to <laughs> and you've never given me any credit for it you what have you said now be honest because i don't feel like it's right there are here's here is something that I've always felt, and I've communicated this before. I, for the most part, we're on the same wavelength. Obviously, with 10 years, there's going to be 
no matter how much on the same wavelength we are. Yeah, I'm new kids on the block. You're in sync. It is what it is. I have new kids on the block, too. Anyways, there are there is inevitably going to be some things that that are age difference or in some situation our age difference will will rear its yeah a generational gap whatever you want yeah yeah in those instances you can almost always use your 10 years as a um leverage leverage on why you that your idea or your theory your opinion has the upper hand on mine and i don't like that (laughs) because i know i feel like i've had for my 30 years a fair amount of life experience you have more than most to have an opinion that is warranted and you know i warrant your opinion no i know but like I know. I'm always going to have that. I'm wise and you're not as wise as me. And that probably goes back to my childhood because I remember being a kid and like the number one thing I fucking hated hearing from older people was, well, when you're my age, and I know I've said it to kids that I coach and even Peyton and Ronan at some point. But it was like belittling almost kind of. Yeah. And and a lot of times it was in relationship to physicality yeah physical stuff like sports really i'd eat a bag of skittles or something and or i'd do something that was impressive at the time to these people and i don't know if they were just jealous of a kid or if they were actually mad at me or whatever but they were miserable yeah they well when you're my age you're not gonna be able to do that stuff anymore or if you only had my perspective you would make a different decision and it's like yeah, I would because your perspective is a pessimist. <laughs> I didn't know everything that I would be when I was older, but I knew yeah. that I would be in decent. I would still be able to do push-ups and pull-ups when I was an adult. I like there was never a doubt in my mind. You were wise about beyond some your of these years. Things. And like, people I, said that about that like when I met you. You're like she's yeah, she's not like most. And so when people would use their age as a reason to tell me that I had no idea what I was talking about. And to me, even at a young age, it was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you were traveled. Your parents took you around. You saw the world and what the world had to offer. Not like the world world, but you, you got to see things. (laughs) You were not the 20 year olds that were running around around you. You were kind of existing almost, this is just my perspective, almost painfully, almost abrasively to what they were doing. It's almost like you were entertaining the the age group around you and you were well beyond, you know. And that's that's honestly like there were people that I dated that were around your age that just like they weren't even on the same spectrum. There's a big difference between 20 and 30, but f- between me and you, there really wasn't. Between me and you, I felt like you were like the same age as me. Um, maturity level way above most people your age. Your personality, which is weird. <laughs> but your personality really did draw me to you. And um, 
you know, that that same personality would push a lot of people away from you. (laughs) I have found it fairly hard to make friends. Like, or maybe I just haven't tried cared to that much. Like, I just, I don't know why, but the people that, whether I talk to them every day or not, the people that I was like best friends with in college and high school are typically still the people I consider Mm -hmm. my outside of a few people. I just haven't really made any friends. Um, do you think I have in that same time? Yeah. Who? Um, I guess it depends. I mean, your inner circle is probably always going to be Brent, Bo, and us. Yeah, in five, six people. I hope I don't. Again, I'm going on a whim here, so hopefully I'm not offending anybody by saying that. But no, I have I have like six or seven yeah. people that I consider my inner fields, circle fields. Yeah, yeah like, there there it's a very small group, yeah. and not not including my family, but like I have a lot of acquaintances. Yeah. I have a lot of people I'm friendly with. But there's a, a very small, and the beauty is um, I'm in a place with so many amazing people at Hard Drive where I feel like that's not really accurate, where I have this way bigger group of really yeah, close people. which is why I people. feel bad saying it because right. I, I have friends. Yeah, I have a ton of friends. The, the people, people that, that know me the way you or like it, Renee. Intimate, and Hannah right. And like Lauren Bishop probably know me is. Not the same. I don't have people We like talk about anymore. it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> The Courtney that you see before you is not the Courtney I see after hours, I'll tell you that, which is not a bad thing. It's been a fun, uh, scathing report that you've offered the viewing audience. The hope is that um, I'm people can see I'm okay being ripped apart and I'm comfortable with myself. We've had these conversations regularly, so it's not like he's just finding out this the first time. Like This is nothing that he hasn't heard from you before. So True. it's not like this... It's not like really you I'm not saying you've always handled it this well, but well, usually like we're in this, an emotional situation and it's different, but yeah. We've but it's not like he's just sitting here trying not to react like he's heard all these things from me before and yeah, I'm not taking them into consideration. That's a part of our relationship, yeah. right? Is like it's we're constantly trying to up the ante a little bit and communication is a big piece of that. And I know when I can't communicate, I lose my mind. So we've always been pretty open. Maybe we should just communicate on a podcast all the time from now on. Hmm. (laughs) Because we seem to do fairly well here. Well, you know, I've actually suggested this. I've actually suggested this and you weren't interested in sharing the intimate details of our lives with people. I'm not still. Well, you've shared quite a bit. And uh, I appreciate well, it's it. Not an edited it's not going to get edited. I'm putting it right out there tonight. The whole thing. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit it because there were multiple times when you forgot what you were saying <laughs> and drifted off into cyberspace. But I'm going to edit it and then I'm going to let you see it. And you're going to see that some of the most provocative and some of the most interesting conversation was the very conversation that you didn't want to talk about in the first place. And then you will decide. But. I'm going for genuineness. I'm going for vulnerability. I'm going for all those people that think I'm a crazy, narcissistic, sociopathic asshole to show them that I'm actually not that at all. And that, well, well, what? (laughs) 
Well, what? I can't say not at all. Not at all. Yeah, everybody's got... But I shouldn't have to put a disclaimer on it either. Like, <laughs> I'm qualified to sit in a room and talk to people. That's about it. I, I hope anyway. So, um, happy birthday. Thank you. Is it my birthday yet? Mm-hmm. Our past. Mm-hmm. How old are you? And quit doing that because you can hear it. I'm 31. You're 31. And we've been together for how long? 10 years. And when was the first time you regretted being with me? <laughs> I've never regretted being with you. (laughs) And you've driven me crazy. And I've driven you into the throes of madness. Madness. Frothing at the mouth. Yeah. But there's never never been a single time when I've ever entertained not being with you. So we'll be together till the... till the end of the road. I'll say for the record, all of the bad things... The many, many, (laughs) many bad things. I feel like I had to meet you specifically not anybody else in the world to to find my me like to be who i am somebody that i was proud of like i had to meet you specifically that's the biggest compliment you've ever given me don't expect me to say it again You don't need to. I love you. We we've we are throwing stuff and screaming and going ah, like that. Like Courtney does that sometimes when she gets really mad at me, and then like thirty minutes later, I'll do this, and she'll just do that. She'll burst into laughter, and it's like all this big game that we like to play, but it's fun, and I'm glad I get to play it with you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being my first guest. This is just a smidge. <laughs> this is just a little glimpse into the world that you we live. Can't know me. This is the most you'll ever see her. <laughs> she might not even let the video be released. Yeah. Highly edited. The edited version's going to be like, "My name's Courtney." <laughs> the end. <laughs> hey guys, it's me. <laughs> hey guys, it's just me. One time Courtney was recording a video and Courtney like anybody that knows Courtney knows she's I had to do a story. podcast for school because it was something Le- yeah I had to do was it a podcast like, or was it like a like a voiceover type thing i think i had to for art school and like part of the business side of it i had to do like all these different social media brand developments and i think one of them was like i had to turn in a five to ten minute yeah i don't know if it was a podcast but i had to talk to something and and you hadn't done that before and it all it started with <laughs> Hey guys, it's just me. And, hey, it's not me hey guys, shit, <laughs> boom. Hey guys, just me, Courtney. And I'm like, who are you? Are you like a movie character? What's going on? I, I don't want to even like go off on tangents, but the walnut, Courtney <laughs> losing her shit. She's worked 13 jobs in one day. She's exhausted. She's up in the gym with her photo uh, materials, her tools, trying to take a picture, a still life. If I recall. Yeah. And she's in tears. She's so upset. She doesn't know what to do. <laughs> she she can't get it right. What did I do? 
I don't remember what you did. I know you moved the acorn or the walnut or whatever it is a little bit. I didn't do shit. <laughs> I grabbed the acorn and a couple sprigs of some shit and I went, there. <laughs> and you took a picture and went, that's kind of nice. She'd been up there for like two or three hours spinning and losing her mind about this. And I just like put some trash on a piece of white paper and she took a picture of it and it worked. And you got a good I grade. those ears. Yeah, that was rough. That's a podcast in itself. And that's a that's a darker place. We'll go to that someday, but not today. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us tonight. This has been <laughs> Courtney Hour. Uh, babe, thanks for joining me. Um, let's go upstairs, hang out, watch some TV, celebrate your birthday. And then all this whole day, I'm going to be promising you massages I'm never going to give to you. Yeah, so let's actually, I have one more. One more little tidbit <laughs> encore 2017 i was turning 27 years old maybe i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and i'm gonna go 2018 i was turning 28 three years ago now the he, most damn my birthday gift from keone was five one hour full body massages Whenever I wanted. That wasn't the only gift, right? I probably bought you dinner or something. I'm sure there was Kay. something else. But, but even I did if promise. That was, the I did promise gift, five awesome full bod massages. We are entering my 31st birthday. That <laughs> gift <laughs> is still not fulfilled. Listen, there was bartering. You gave up and a couple of those. On top of it not being fulfilled. We bartered two of them. <laughs> so he's actually only given me two full body massages in three years. Why is that? Not because of you. Because, because I'm you. too because busy giving him elbow massages every single night. And why? Because I'm your elder. Because I have more life experience and I think my elbows rubbed. Um, I fell short. <laughs> All right, baby. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Peace. Peace, bitch. Harris Code, Joe. <laughs> Peace, bitch. They don't even know. That's where we'll leave it.